What are friends for? Hey, everyone. Welcome back. We're doing season five. Pallavi, what are friends for? Tell me. Friends are for having intimate conversations without sex. Ah, <laughs> that's actually like a real conversation we're having today, which is so fascinating, as well as I hope that The Atlantic will buy an ad from us for the amount of times I'm obsessed with all of their articles. We do talk about them a lot. We do talk about the work in there a lot. We try and healthily stalk said writers of those of those <laughs> articles. And sometimes we get ghosted, but then sometimes it works out like today. Like today. We're so excited about our guest. I am so happy that everyone that's listening right now, our audience, our, li- our fans, our followers, our friends for coming back with us because this I thought about it, Pallavi, and I was like, what are we doing this for? And I'm like, well, first of all, to talk about something else. Second of all, to talk to you, Pallavi, once a week. You are my best friend. And it's wonderful to dissect and invest in our relationship. I couldn't agree more because, and I think we've reached the point where, like, when I do see you, we don't really talk about the show. We do just, like, talk about all the other things. We're doing a good job of having that clear line between, like, work and play, which is refreshing it's very hard to do in our industry so i think so too Pallavi, we're doing expert panels Mm -hmm. this year this Mm -hmm. season which i'm excited about do you want to explain that for a second yeah so we were talking about like all of these um references that we like to make from whether it's a show or a a movie or you know anything else or like real life celebrity friendships or that we read about and and we were like you know what i think there's something to discuss there and people get excited about these things and so we thought we would go to and we've uh, amassed like a really great like very exclusive and small list of experts that talk about friendship in a variety of ways and they write about it and so we were like why don't we just keep bringing those people back and so that's what we're doing on patreon and those are those are like exclusive episodes that we do so like we just did one that is live now with danielle byer jackson dissecting the beautiful relationships the friendships in the show insecure which we're all fans of which i really enjoyed that conversation and so we're looking to do more of those and we've been like we said stalking this person that we have today um, (laughs) a little bit now we're hoping now that we after this episode since she's been on the show we'll do the same thing with her and we just I kind of just said that she didn't know that I was going to ask for that but you know now I'm yeah, like yeah, yeah, cornering yeah. her now stay tuned um, stay tuned <laughs> but anyway yeah I love this exercise so Gabrielle what are what what was good this week and what was bad this week let me start with the bads okay, okay. because it has been a crazy 2022 for us we lost a lot of church family which is a conversation I'm not ready to have it got really nasty from our perspective but what the bad I want to talk about is we had to go get our car, our second car, off the lot. And it's an 18-minute drive back to our house. And it took four and a half hours to get back because the car kept dying. The Ugh. battery kept dying. And it just it had been sitting for too long. We went away for the holidays. We went away for work. We came back. We had to go get it. That was a really bad day. That was yeah. a really bad day. And I have to say the good out of it, though, was I refused to let Philip do it by himself. Because he would never let me do that by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like literally kaputting every two minutes 
and the car died again. Like him putting it in park made the car die again. And Mercedes was so good in the car seat and just like fell asleep. And then I sat back there and nursed her again while we called AAA for the third time for another 45 minute wait. And as shitty as it was, I remember the last guy that I dated before Philip and I said, I want to marry someone that I can hold hands with, with the tornado of shit swarming around us. And I told Philip that I was like, this is it. Like, Mm. this is it. And as long as it's this, I mean, you're not in the hospital with respiratory issues. Like it could be worse, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm by myself. So that was the good thing about the bad. Yeah. Realizing you had each other in the, in the bad. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. How about you? Well, uh, the goods was that this morning there was no crying with the new uh, childcare situation. Like earlier this now, week, now be specific. It was really tough. Who's crying? Because I thought the the child carer was crying, or you well, were crying. I mean, my my huge great thing that was supposed to happen for me this year was having like full time childcare that I wouldn't have to worry about. <laughs> and then like when so this week was really tough though, because like usually when we get up and when we get the kiddo up in the morning, one of us walks through the door and she prefers Hari because she's a daddy's girl. But like now we have this wonderful au pair and she's wonderful, but she would start to walk through the door and literally we would hear from the crib. She we would hear no like she would yell and then literally like lose her mind I was like what is happening she's had babysitters before this is not new but we're like she knew something was different so that was really oh yeah but the fact that she didn't do that this morning was a huge win it was that's a good it was huge win (laughs) and then the bads is I haven't been consistently exercising and I try and I exercised yesterday like you know hardcore exercised for the first time in months like five six months uh re not having childcare and uh and i i have like a headache that's still lingering i don't i don't know oh. if that's my yeah i don't i don't know if that's my body trying to tell me you need to do more so you get used to it again or if it's oh. like you're fucking old and you need to calm down or or you're just dehydrated that too i mean i have my water does water. yeah water does a lot yeah water does a lot it, it helps a lot yeah <laughs> So I'm ha- my body's having a tough time, but I'm hanging uh, in there. <laughs> yeah, that's always the that's always a part of like trying to get back to working out. That's so discouraging. It's uh, like, well, this is yeah. a punishment for trying. I guess <laughs> right. It's like my hormones are like fuck you. Um, yeah. But anyway, I- I'll get through that. So, um, but yeah, I want to bring on our guest because I love that we're doing this sort of thing now. It's a great way to like get to know our guest before we actually get into the matter at hand. Yeah. So. Yes, <laughs> I love this name because it's a good friend of ours, mm-hmm. also named Raina. So everyone, please welcome Raina. I really love this name, and I love how you spell it: R H A I N A. Raina, where, what, who named you, and what was the reason behind the name? Before we talk about who you are, like all the things. I was roughly named after my grandmother, who is Rena, and my mom decided when she was like 12 or 13 that if she had a daughter, she would name her Rena. Then her cousin ended up naming her daughter Rena first. <gasps> and my mom, yeah, and my mom <gasps> thought that she couldn't do the same. So I was Rebecca for the first day of life, but my mom had a terror, like she, it was, she had an emergency C-section, and I think her aunt told her, after everything you've been through, name her whatever you want. So my mom was probably still under, you know, all the... <laughs> the drugs uh, recovering from a c-section and she decided to name me reina but she didn't like kind of conventional spellings so she thought there was a silent h in rona you know and rhoda and various names and yeah. added an h so it's made my name very confusing for people but it's i i actually really like having a name that is is unusual yes mm-hmm. and worth explaining because it's beautiful 
It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Welcome to the show. I'm going to tell everyone who you are. You are a producer and editor at NPR. We feel so important that you're here. She's working on a book about people who have a friend as their life partner and how those friendships challenge the privileged status of romantic relationships in America, culture, and law. Welcome to What Are Friends For, girl. Very happy to be here talking about friendship. Yes! Yeah, we originally, uh, I think, uh, connected over Twitter, right? Like, I think we found each other on Twitter. That seems that, right. I mean, I... Re- that I, rings a bell? I'm trying to think if I reached out to you, because at the time, I was working on Invisibilia season on Friendship, and we were in this early stage trying to figure out what do we want to talk about in, in this season, and you just sort of spitballed with me, helped me brainstorm. Okay, Raina, let's uh, tell us what was great this week and what was hard this week. I usually do this sort of thing on Fridays, so you're hitting me a day early to think through <laughs> what what has gone on. A great thing this week is most of my days have been now built around these like kind of work check-ins with a friend of mine who I'm working on my book and he's working on a number of fiction pieces and he ended up sending me his outline for his novel earlier this week. I don't know if you've ever read fiction by somebody that you know. I've just done mm. it a couple times and it's incredibly moving to see how someone's thinking about the world gets translated into writing in ways that you wouldn't have seen before. And I was exchanging voice memos with another friend and basically all my friends are friends with each other, or at least my close friends. And that friend had told me that she had just read a short story by the same friend and how affected she was by it. So we were kind of having this like mutual, I I knew that I wasn't crazy, I guess, or being melodramatic and how much it meant to see his work. But that's probably an odd thing to be uh, like a high for a week or maybe, maybe not, but I really enjoyed getting to sort of be, get a window into his brain a little bit more. And a low for the week. I am a very chaotic cook, like when I'm, particularly when I'm making a new recipe. And yesterday I like went to the store twice and still managed to forget something. Um, So I improvised and everything was fine in the end. But I like, it just reminds me of how much I'm not yet a full adult in really basic things. So I thought like once I got an accountant, that meant I was an adult, but I apparently (laughs) not. So um, yeah, unpleasant (laughs) reminder. I love the accountant threshold i just love that being a marker truly like the two (laughs) things that happened in the last year that made me feel like an adult was like i have pajamas that are not just like a (laughs) t-shirt and (laughs) and you know and pajama bottoms like they actually you know coordinate and that i got an accountant those two things you know you gotta like have two out of three two out of three goals of being being an adult because cooking still hasn't really necessarily worked out for me i make very nice salads yeah she asked me once and what do i cook well i said a salad i don't Hey, friends, go on and flex. We want to, first of all, build you up and let you talk about the book that you're writing. And secondly, talk about how this particular article that we're obsessed with in The Atlantic came about. Like, did you pitch it to them? Did they come to you? Tell us the story. The book and article have pretty much the same origin, which is that I fell into a really intense friendship and it didn't really fit the categories that I was familiar with. It felt like it was beyond best friend. We would talk often about how best friend didn't really feel sufficient. I just remember us having discussions about there are multiple partners at a law firm, like can't we have more than one partner in life? And and then I also was kind of aware of some historical examples of relationships that didn't really make sense in our kind of current ideas of just a binary between romantic relationships and friendship. So I ended up digging into that history and the common term is romantic friendship. So these were 
a really deeply affectionate, sometimes committed friendships uh, that, again, just like don't really fit into what we think. So that, that was basically how I saw my friendship with Emma Fub. I wanted to find other people who had basically these modern day in- incarnations of romantic friendships. I knew I wanted to write a book and I had gotten a lot of advice to try to first write an article, uh, both for refining the ideas and to see like, do I even want to write a book? Like, is a few thousand words enough? So I pitched to The Atlantic. I'd written for them before on some other topics. So I was very grateful that that Julie Beck, who's my editor, took it, took the piece and ended up being a lot longer than she had bargained for. But that's, uh, that's okay. Yeah. And you got a lot of great feedback for that. Yeah. I mean, it's been shared a, a lot around. And I feel like you were one of the first to write one of these types of articles on this specific topic, because later on, there was like more that happened. Yeah, I mean, I there's been a lot written on like platonic life partners. And I, my mom told me a few weeks ago that she watched The View and people were talking about platonic life partners and were kind of very disapproving. So she was hoping that my mm. book can could could change the tide for the, uh, I guess, sort of relatively conservative women who I don't know who, uh, at least in that in that aspect, who weren't really into it. I've been surprised how, in a relatively short period of time, how the general idea of having the most important person in your life be a friend and kind of take on the role that you'd expect a partner to. We're we're increasingly having language for it, or that there's some kind of like cultural visibility of it. For our listeners that would like to read along or press pause, read it, and then come back, or read it after after you listen to our discussion, the Atlantic article is called What If Friendship, Not Marriage, Was at the Center of Life. No, really, Pallavi. I love diving deep into platonic love with you, Anwaf. I am also so proud of our commitment to this podcast and also our friendship. Oh, I feel the same way, Gabrielle. Our listeners have been there with us along the way through the ups and downs of this global pandemic, new motherhood, and, you know, just the daily stress of being a human being. The Waf Fam is unstoppable. Which is why we work beyond the podcast to create slay content and connect with our Waf Fam on Patreon. Yes! You think we dive deep on the podcast while the Patreon is where you can watch the full uncut videos of each episode and get access to exclusive friend content with our world-renowned friendship experts and our celebrity guest friends. Work! We have many tiers and perks to choose from that start at just $2 a month, and now there's even a yearly subscription option which gets you a 15% discount. We even throw in an occasional virtual live show where our patrons could be chosen to hang with us and our guest friends on Zoom, or you might even be invited to be a panelist for a juicy friendship discussion. Ugh, those are my favorite, Paula V. So that means if someone joins with a yearly subscription, they could see all that content for as low as $20 for a whole year? Yeah, that's exactly right. By joining the WAF Patreon, you're not only telling us that you believe platonic love is a vital life skill, but you're also directly helping us make the show. No, really. We actually can't do this without you, WAF fam. And who knows? Maybe if the Patreon blows up, we could put together some in-person live shows too and come hang out in real life. Ooh, don't you threaten me with a good time. Go to patreon.com slash WAF podcast and choose the tier that speaks to you. That's patreon.com slash W-A-F-F podcast. See you on the Patreon, friends. Now back to WAF. My name is Raina Cohen, and you're listening to What Are Friends For? I loved this article when I read it. I loved taking my time reading it. Like you said, it was a lot more than your editor knew it was going to happen. But like, it was just so nice to dive into a new conversation for Pallavi and me because we do use the word platonic love a lot 
So that leads to my first question with your article is the new terminology like you were speaking about and that this is all that's really about is the terminology romantic friendship. So for us, or not even for us, but for today's day and age, romantic friendship does sound like an oxymoron. What did you discover in writing this article that led you to using that terminology frequently in your article? Part of it, as I mentioned, came from a personal place where my yeah. where the friendship that I had really felt like it, it felt romantic and it just minus the sex part, which we tend or like sexual attraction that I think people tend to collapse under romance, just like our exuberance for each other and the sort of thrill and how affectionate we are. I was kind of just extending this this historical idea. But I will say that in the like one evolution has been that I'm using a different kind of term, which is platonic partner. And I'd been resistant kind of initially because I think platonic has, you know, it means non-sexual, but it also, I, I think there's a sense that platonic is sort of a steadier kind of feeling. And that was not necessarily what I was finding in a lot of the people I talked to, but I ended up discovering that there were people like me um, who had a kind of friendship that was filled with these sorts of highs that we associate with romance and this physical affection and so on. But there were other people who felt like their friendships were much more like sibling relationships or that there was a sense that they'd always known each other and it it just had a different look to it. But when I saw what the friendship was doing for them and how maybe those those friends would buy a house together or were making life decisions together, to me, the, the thing that was important was the, the partnership aspect. And platonic feels like a somewhat imperfect term, but it is one that we kind of understand generally a meaning of. So that's that's the direction I've moved in to be more all-encompassing because romantic friendship for a lot of people, it didn't resonate with them as a term. For some people, it, it totally did. But for others who I think could could relate to this kind of relationship, it, it didn't do it for them. Platonic is a very like clinical word, I guess. Like it's a very like it's a it's a textbook kind of word. And then like mm. romantic is such a more of an part of the vernacular. Right. But like you're absolutely I mean, we talk about this often, like the things that you do buy gifts for your friends, you do surprise your friends, you do all of these things that are actually in line. They're in the same in the Venn diagram of relationships. Like you do the same things for a significant other or like a, you know, a partner or a relationship where there is sex. So, I mean, in that, is it too invasive to ask, like, you know, in that friendship that you are in or are in, uh, I don't want to assume, but, uh, you know, did, was there ever discussion about, are we, like, did sex ever get in the way? Like, was that ever a question that you guys had to ask? I've been thinking that I should, like, actually revisit this question with MFA because, both of us are attracted to women, but like, and knew that early on, but sort of had not quite like arrived at fully, I think, I don't know, embracing that or whatever the case is. So I, I do sort of wonder, like, would we have interpreted our feelings differently? I think attraction is very malleable, sexual and romantic. So I, I think that it's quite possible that maybe we would have imposed a different uh, idea on it. I don't think that sexual attraction was in the picture for, for both of us, but I haven't asked her explicitly. I think that I would have found out at this point. There's sort of no shame about any of this this sort of stuff. Yeah, that's that's sort of like the best explanation I can give. Like it's it's I, I just think our feelings are so shaped by the 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 categories that we have, the language we have. You use a term that I think is also really provocative that I'd love to hear you expand on. And you said that like, you know, uh, picking a friend as a life partner and, and, and it challenges the privileged status of romantic relationships. And so 
I, I would love to hear you expand on that because that is a very interesting, because that's a word that we use in a lot of ways now is privilege. And I've actually never seen it paired with a romantic relationship as privilege. Obviously, for obvious reasons, we say, okay, you know, uh, LGBTQ and like non-binary folks who are in relationships, we, as a straight person, I have privilege in a way that they do not. But, you know, what else do you mean by that? So I, I started this, as I said, because I had my own friendship that I was trying to make sense of and wanted basically to to validate the relationship that I had and, and other people. But it became pretty clear quickly that by looking at these friendships, there were larger messages and ideas to grapple with. And one is, I think, a reason that it's very hard for people to even imagine having a friend as the number one person in their life or the person that they make major life decisions with is because we expect only a romantic partner to play that role. There are a number of ideas. One is a kind of funky academic term, but I think is still helpful, called amata-normativity by a philosopher named Elizabeth Brake. And it sort of riff on heteronormativity. The idea is that being in a long-term monogamous romantic relationship is considered both the, the sort of standard operating procedure for, for a person's life and the thing that everybody should be aspiring to. And there's there's a lot in our, in our culture and in the law that privileges people who are in the those sorts of relationships and treats anybody who is not in them as, as essentially not a full adult. And that's really what I kind of see this project of this book as being a way to imagine another kind of adulthood that is fulfilling, that doesn't necessarily have at the center of its orbit a romantic relationship. So, you know, in terms of examples of the privileging romantic relationships, I think anyone who hasn't been in a, a relationship who's who's single and hasn't gotten invited to something because they're not part of a couple, that would be sort of what one example, even the language we use when we talk about being in love or being in a relationship, the the implication or the 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 connotation is always romantic love. Like even explaining loving a friend or being the, even the possibility of being in love that is not part of a maybe sort of marriage to be kind of relationship doesn't compute for us. And then there are a whole bunch of legal ways that uh, that romantic relationships or particularly marriage is privileged outside the US it's it's not necessarily the case that if you are if you're not married that you don't have like here you have to be married to put somebody on your health insurance you couldn't put even a sibling on your health insurance if you you know i i talked to these these two friends who uh, wanted to put each other in their wills and the the lawyer was so confused and he was like is this your girlfriend and she was like no, this is my friend, like, think BFF times 20. Like, even the fact that she has to explain that, mm. it's that the default is always a romantic partner, and if it's not somebody that you are romantically involved with, it's it elicits a lot of confusion or questions, or in the case of Nicole Sonderman, who was in the Atlantic piece, people speculating that the women must have been secretly in a, in a sexual relationship in a way that was, they treated it like a scan, you know, in a scandalous way. So all of that, that misunderstanding and, and judgment um, for people who are outside the norm of a romantic relationship I would give as sort of examples of that privilege. Boom. That's an Oof. explanation right there. Hey. Oof. That um, was it. How how many couples are you talking to with your book? Are you past that stage of research? Where are you right now? I have written close to half the book. I'm on Monday planning to send uh, that chunk to my editor, trying to get it done by Valentine's Day as a fun, you know, here's another way to think about love for, for the day. And then after I finish I that, bit I'm going to try to go and interview a bunch more people so I've interviewed about 50 people so far and then I have a, like a survey and have gotten some more people through that just kind of 
overall stories of people and hoping to get to about 100. But one of the things that I've decided that I wanted to do is I think it's helpful to talk to a lot of people for for context and to see the kind of variety, but I'm trying to go deep on individual stories in the way that, Gabrielle, you pointed out, I, I did in the, the Atlantic piece where you really hopefully feel like you're kind of in the middle of somebody's life and, and know the intricacies of it. So I'm writing, but I'm also actively on the search for people who have these kinds of relationships. Lightning wall! So first question, do you have one, none, or multiple romantic friendships? I mean, I have one person who I think of in this category, but then I think about another friend and probably yes. This is not, sorry, I'm not good at lightning round, apparently. I have very <laughs> long answers, but we were recently at a dinner and I turned to her and I was like, are we being too much? Because we are just like, you know, like sort of snuggled into each other around other people. So my friendship with Helen probably counts as uh, in the romantic realm on some level. Awesome. And what is your favorite on-screen friendship? I loved Amy and Molly's relationship in Booksmart, especially when they kind of had these competitions of complimenting each other and just one up <laughs> like one upping each other like who like who said you could be so beautiful? It was I I really loved the intensity of their friendship. I love it. In one word or hyphen it, what kind of friend are you? So some examples might be you're the mama bear, you're the advice giver etc. The connector. Love oh my it. gosh, I love that friend. I am so not that person in friendships. <laughs> or the other term would be like friend pusher. I, I sort of make my close <laughs> friends be friends with each other. I like that better. <laughs> I love that for you and your friends. That's awesome. Raina, what would you like to do better as a friend? I alluded to the fact that I talk on for a long time. I would, I would like to be uh, more on the listening end of things. I always seem to have something to say. And then our iconic question, Reyna, what are friends for? Friends are for helping you figure out the person you want to be. Love it. We're so glad you have on the show. We've been like, we've been like hardcore dating you online for so long. <laughs> this date is going very well. It's going very well. <laughs> so would you, we would like to have you back for a second date, if you don't mind, to do an expert <laughs> panel on Amy and Molly from Booksmart and how we dissect and like go through the dialogues like we we have a ball with it would you like to come back and do that with us yeah I mean I think one of the great things about having writing a book on friendship is like I just get to watch movies or read you know read <laughs> like Booksmart actually I, I felt like I'm, I'm doing work here like I'm I'm this is the Absolutely. kind of friendship that I everyone's told me like that I'm writing about so I'll yes. watch it again amazing oh Polly she said yes she said yes <laughs> and to all of our listeners you can call in and let us know your romantic friendship stories we would love to also have a panel live show about other people's stories we'll invite Raina she can interview people we don't know if, if you have this in your life we would love to hear about it and we would love to have you guest on our live show coming up this year 805-973 7529-805-973. Slay, you can call and let us know all those things because we want to hear we want to talk about it and hear about it. And text us too. You can text us at that number. Oh. <laughs> Did you not know that? <laughs> Girl. I'm just happy I'm here. But yeah, give us a text. Raina, thank you so much for coming on What Are Friends For? We're so happy that you're our friend now. I like how you ha you're like tilting your head like, are we friends? <laughs> I'm opening up the opportunity. Yes, yes. Very, very happy to be <laughs> let, in the let into the circle. 
after people contact you, if they want to, con if they have this sort of friendship, there are various ways to contact me. As we know, my name is very unusual. It's not hard to find me. The link in my Instagram is to the, the survey that I mentioned, and that just has like asking a little bit of information so that I know about your friendship. So we will have it all in our notes, how you can get connected with Reina, how you can read this article that is launching off this amazing book. We can't wait to share the book in our next season and get her back as many times as we can because you are a very good friend. <laughs> See all you right. next time. Bye. One, two, three, four. This episode was produced by Team Access Productions and Fastnickel Inc. and presented by Hoo-Ha-Ha. Our supervising producer is Philip Sanchez. Our consulting producers are Kathleen Cho and Rose Harwood. Head of production and marketing is Anna Daniker. Digital content director is Susie Cabello. Our production assistants are Daniela Heredia Vega and Julia Kelch. Our podcast artwork is created by Ashwarya Sukesh. Original music is by Joey Sherman. Special thanks to Irresistible Force Publicity and Hari Savitala. Don't forget to download the free Hoo-Ha-Ha app to listen to WAF and other exclusive women-led podcasts. And as always, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening now. This helps our show's visibility and helps us keep making it for you. And find us on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok at WAF Podcast. That's W-A-F-F -F Podcast. To find links to our exclusive vodcasts, live shows, shop merch, or even text us, visit WAFPodcast.com. We truly appreciate you all checking in with us online. But you know that friend that you've been like, oh, I really haven't checked in with them in a while. Go do that. Yeah, go do that now. <laughs>